Welcome to another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. I'm your host, Aaron Huey. Thank you for joining me, parents, teachers, clinicians, everybody, anybody who's a fan, a friend of Beyond Risk and Back. Uh, please don't hesitate to check us out on Facebook at Beyond Risk and Back and also on Parenting Teens That Struggle, a private group on Facebook. But thank you. I'm really excited about today's show. I met Brian in Vegas recently at a conference, uh, the uh, International Foundations of Healthcare Conference in Vegas. And we started up a conversation that ultimately led to talking about boys, men, and emotional intelligence and the changes that we've gone through, Brian and I seem to be about the same age. Uh, I'm a Gen Xer, as I've said many times, just hit 52 years old. And uh, I've got kids who are uh, older and grown up and things have changed emotionally. We did not have emotional intelligence training now. Uh, we didn't have it then when I was a teenager. The older generations have not have uh, did not have access to it. So what is emotional intelligence? Why is it so important now? And I want to say something about millennial dads right now. Huge shout out to millennial dads. At the treatment center, I am getting more calls from dads asking for help, asking for emotional help, mental health help and support for their children than I ever have in the past. It's usually the moms. They can talk about the emotions, they can process the emotions, they can deal with the emotions, but dads were silent. All of a sudden, I'm hearing from dads. And so this is a good time. Shout out to millennial dads. You guys are on track. You understand the emotional process. Let's get started with Brian Clayton. Emotional intelligence, boys, and man, Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you uh, being here with me. Thank you, Aaron. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And hey, let's let's also acknowledge that you've just come out of a pretty intense uh, COVID-19 situation, being hospitalized. And uh, man, I'm really glad you're okay and that your family's okay. And thanks for sharing your recovery with me before we came on the air, telling me the story. And holy crap. But thanks for being here. No, I appreciate it. And I'm just, I'm just thankful that I can be here. And uh, you know, five five weeks out from from being hospitalized, actually able to sit and talk and not be coughing every 36 seconds. So, uh, so thank you. Yeah. Uh, if you're going into a coughing fit, give me a finger, uh, uh, a middle finger or an index finger, and I'll know to, uh, hold some space for you while you go through that process. So, okay. Hey man, let's talk about IFA. What were you doing out there? So I was out there because I was receiving an award for being a, a top 100 leader in healthcare. Um, and, but really, the award was secondary. I came out there because I really wanted to, to, to start to engage and meet more, uh, more people in, in the industry. And when I saw the, the agenda, there was a lot around mental health. Yeah. And so I was really interested in coming out, just meeting, meeting people like yourself um, who's in that space and, and try to connect and, and see if there was any, any synergies at all between what, what I do um, and what others were doing. And, and even if it's just knowledge sharing, um, be able to build that, build that network. So those were the two main, main reasons I was out there. So let's talk about what you've been doing because you came out there. Uh, a, you're, you're quite the, the personal athlete. You, you've got a, a big focus on your own health uh, and mental well-being and physical well-being. Um, but what is it that you do on your day-to-day? -day? How did you end up there? 
Sure. So, so what I'm what I'm focused on is um, I, I'm a I'm a behavioral coach, and so what I do is I help individuals um, set goals, identify the behaviors that are preventing them from meeting those goals, and modifying and creating new behaviors so they can start moving forward and achieving the goals. And I do it uh, with a focus on emotional intelligence. And and the the way I got here was. Um, when I graduated college, I went into the workforce like most people did, and and I very quickly rose up through a lot of ranks uh, within the organizations I was in through hard work, determination, um, using my brain, yeah. and and that was rewarded, and and companies rewarded it. Um, I was promoted many times, had a, had a very good life, um, but then I started to lose the the use of my left arm, and I couldn't figure out what it was. It, I couldn't tell if it was an injury, something I did during weightlifting. or Like it was going weak on you? You would lose grip on things or you couldn't lift it? Couldn't lift. So it got to the point. Wow. Um, so it started in 2010. It got to the point in 2014 when I could no longer lift my arm above my head. I actually had to grab my wrist and lift it up. Um, but there was nothing wrong with it. There was, there was, there was nothing going on. So um, it, was, it just so happened that the company I was working at had a um, emotional intelligence coach come in and was putting the senior um, leaders through a, through, a pro- through a program that he had developed where you really focused on understanding yourself better and your emotions better. And by going through this, through this, uh, this program, um, halfway through, I woke up one morning after having a, a, a real honest conversation with myself around some of my own personal limiting beliefs and dealing with the emotions attached to them, I woke up the next morning and my left arm had full use. Wow. <laughs> totally a somatic experience. Yep. And so usually when, right, so if someone told me that story going into the seminar, I would have kind of smiled and said, okay. Um, coming out of it, you can't, I couldn't ignore it. And so I actually uh, d- developed a relationship with the individual who developed the program and who was delivering the program. Um, he is now my mentor. I, I, you know, when I was in the hospital, he called me, um, and we had some very specific talks around, around how I was doing and what I was doing. But what I found was that the more I incorporated, um, this emotional intelligence concept, and it's a, it's a different concept than what you would get if you read emotional intelligence 2.0 right. and you try to apply, you know, the, the five standards, it really is around understanding yourself, um, understanding what emotions you're using to get through the day. Um, understanding why you're using them, um, and then how to modify it so that you can actually be the type of person you want to be uh, and, and start achieving goals that uh, that seemed out of reach. As you grew up as a child, as a teenager, did you have a lot of emotional support? Were you in an emotionally intelligent environment? Uh, no. Okay. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, I, had a, I had a mom who, <laughs> quite honestly, I, I mean, loved my mom, but it, it was a situation where, I mean, I think it's a phrase all Gen Xers heard growing up, which was, um, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry. <laughs> um, right. I mean, that was, that was a common phrase when I was growing up, up until my teens. Um, and, and you learn that, right. And right. you hold on to that and you learn that, you know, expressing yourself emotionally isn't what was important. And again, when we look at the currency of, of, of what was rewarded, both in school and out of school, you know, when we were growing up, right. it was intelligence. They're all across on Saturday morning cartoons. Knowledge is power, right? That's what, that's what we were inundated with. And if you worked hard and you were smart, things were going to be good for you. Um, when I entered the workplace in the mid-90s, 
um, is when they started with um, understanding the role of emotional intelligence and you started to see um, you know, more of a focus on being able to be aware of not just what you were doing to yourself, but doing to others you know, when you pounded your fist on the table or things of that nature. But, but growing up and, and even early years in, in, in career, no, emotional intelligence was not a, it was not a thing. When someone is not trained, let's identify so that the listeners, parents, because this word's being thrown around a lot. So let's identify um, what emotional intelligence is and what we what happens to us when we don't have it. Let's start with what is it and what is it to not have it? So I'll start with with the basic foundations of 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 emotional intelligence, the ones that are pretty much agreed on no matter where you go. It always starts with self-awareness. Sure. And so what does self-awareness mean? It means are you currently aware of what it is that's happening within you and why? And when I do emotional intelligence, um, I, I spend most of my time with individuals in that space because that's the hardest space for individuals to get to. Um, and the reason why is that most people want to point the finger and blame others for their emotional reactions and not own the reaction themselves and realize why that reaction is coming from themselves. The other thing um, that emotional intelligence is really about, you'll hear it a lot, which is empathy. and. You know, this is an area where I diverge a little bit from the standard in that um, a lot of people will say, well, empathy is putting yourself in other people's shoes. And where I diverge from that is to say empathy isn't about putting yourself in other people's shoes. Having empathy is actually being able to have that very important conversation with those individuals and understanding their view and their impact. Um, so what I try to do is remove people from having conversations in their head that they think they're having with others and actually move to a point to where you can have a, an emotional conversation, I'm sorry, a conversation with emotion that isn't overly emotional to where you actually start to meet each other um, at a different place. Um, and that's when you're able to do those two things, um, nine times out of 10, what you've done now is you've built a significant amount of trust between you and the person you're interacting with. And everything in this world pretty much revolves around being able to trust the person I'm, I'm, I'm with, I'm talking to, I'm interacting with because once you have that, um, you become a pretty powerful team. So this is this is something that throughout the years, uh, for the last 15 years, I've talked to parents about is this non-emotional parenting. And that's a misnomer, but it's it seems to be the only way to get it to land. It's not that I'm saying you can't have emotions. You absolutely have emotions. No one doesn't have emotions. People can have them and internalize them so you don't see them or recognize them. But on the outside, parenting with your emotions, using your emotions as leverage, using your emotions as consequence. A lot of parents go wrong here because having huge emotions as the lead-in to in intense conversations, having intense uh, emotions run conversations, that's not emotionally intelligent. What is the relationship of someone who has high emotional intelligence? What is the relationship that they begin to have to their emotional experience? Sure. So let's let's start with the the relationship starts with themselves. And you start to have a better relationship with yourself. You'll hear a lot of times around emotional intelligence, um, you, you know, you, you have higher self-regard, lower stress. Um, 
your left arm starts working when it doesn't <laughs> work before. Um, you, you get that. And, and the reason you get that is, um, is you start to understand what emotions you want to bring to bear. And a lot of the times when you start working with individuals in this space, um, you'll talk about what are called limiting beliefs. Right. And these are things that you hold that are against your core values. And the longer you hold them and the stronger they are, the more you are likely to react emotionally in a way that isn't productive. And so, so I'll give the best example I can give um, is, is I was working with uh, an, an ex-Marine who had risen up. He was a director in a company. And, you know, in the Marines, they, they, had, they had built into him the core value of no one gets left behind. His company and his department had not done well. And because of that, his department was being let go. And he was very angry at every single one of his employees because, and, and anger was his emotion. So the focus was around anger. And, you know, as he expressed it, he expressed it as he was angry at each one of the employees because they weren't taking it seriously enough. They didn't understand the ramifications. And I stopped him. And I asked him a very simple question, which was, why are you angry with yourself right now? Because you have to realize that the anger is, you're not angry at external people. You're angry at yourself. And right. that's the self-relation that you start with. And he said he didn't know. And so, I, and I, and so I, I, I helped him down the road of, well, what value is being broken right now? And he said, I, I'm le- you know, having, having this organization fail, I'm leaving people behind. I've, I've caused these people to have to leave, you know, to leave, wow. the, leave the company. And I said, all right. Let's let's address that. And without going into the you know the gory details, he quickly realized that what he was angry at, he was angry at himself for breaking his own and a value that he held um, very tight to him. So again, when when you start talking about the relationship and people who have high you know emotional intelligence, what you're able to do is start to realize that the emotions that I'm expressing outwards or that I think I feel externally to folks is actually if I look internal. I realize it's about a value of mine that's being broken. Um, and the one I see a lot with parents is, you know, parents want to be loving to their children. And then their children do something and they get mad and they realize right now I'm about to be not loving to my child. And so therefore anger is what's going to come out. Yeah. I want to bridge this conversation about anger and into the topic of our show, which you and I had discussed offline and in Vegas, which is emotional intelligence in boys and men. We are, and I think we saw it during the Gillette commercial. Do you remember the Gillette commercial that came out uh, during the Super Bowl, where two boys were re- two boys were fighting and bullying and wrestling, and some dad went over and said, "Hey, we don't do that." And some people were like, "But wait a second, we actually do." And then all of a sudden, all this anger of men came out. Why? Why is anger the one we start with with boys and with men? Where does this? anger that seems to be inherent and is absolutely feared, potentially rightfully so, by others. Where did this anger in men and boys come from? So anger is is one of our core basic survival emotions. Um, it's also one of the easiest emotions to tap into to get an to get a short-term action to occur. Huh. Sure. And so, so um, you know, when when you look at anger, 
Um, you know, anger a lot of time is is tied to winning and losing. And so, so when you're looking at it and saying, if I want somebody to do something right now, real fast for me, and you can see that like the expressions I'm making with my face, very much change. I get angry. Sure. Do this right now. Stop talking to me. Stop doing everything. Um, and do this. And and so it really is, it's a survival tech. I mean, it goes back to um, it's one of our primal emotions, and it's very, very much tied to survival. It's very, very much tied to winning and losing, and it's very easy to get to. Um, if you go to the Carl Jung style of psychology, yeah. it's also very much driven by your ego. Right. Um, so I will share that when when I was having my bout with COVID, I had to get angry. Um, I had to use anger to move forward. Um, I had to be mad at the situation that I was in just to motivate myself to be able to get out of bed. So it was anger is like the next step above apathy. <laughs> and when you start talking about emotional intelligence, it's very difficult to get to those higher levels of cooperation um, service if you haven't gone through the lower levels. Right. Um, so so what I rate, what I, I guess the thing I would raise is that the other thing that we mistake anger with is competition. If people are competitive in, in just in nature, um, aggressive in nature, um, and I'm a, I was a competitive person growing up in, in sports, um, what winds up happening, again, when we're not living up to our own self-value of, 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 of how we saw ourselves performing, we'll immediately drop to anger. It, it's so fast. I mean, even this morning, right? I set my alarm clock early, had a big day, and our alarm clock went off, and I was like, oh, God, no. And there was this angry voice in my head that was like, come on, Aaron, you got to get up. Don't you dare just, no, you you go, go. And, and I have been accused many times in my life of being angry when I was interpreting what I was going through as passionate. I'm, I'm passionate about this. I want this now. I want to win. I want to beat this struggle. I want to clear this obstacle. I want to move forward. People be like, why are you so angry? And I'm like, ah, you're scared of my passion. I am not angry until you said something and now I'm pissed at you. But you know, but that's not emotionally intelligent. Like that reaction, yeah. like it. So this gets convoluted because I hear that this anger, like you using anger to get through this COVID stuff, it can be helpful. Someone says, why are you so angry? And I'm like, F you now I'm now I'm angry at you. Cause you, <laughs> why, why is this simplicity of anger so motivating. What is it about this emotional experience of anger that men rely on, that boys rely on? Why are, have you ever seen the, the, the study of Bobo the clown? Right. I'm not familiar with Bobo. The, the little kids are playing with this Bobo the Clown doll, the old one that you and I remember. Remember, you could punch yep. it and it can knock over, and the kids would go play with it. And then they put men in the room, and the men were very aggressive with it. And the boys just went right back in and copied the men and were aggressive. That's a simplification of the study, obviously. But why is this anger thing our go-to? Is it is it because it's easy? Is it because it's survival? Or is it because what we know the best? It's easy. It's part of our survival. And it's what we've been rewarded for. Really? What do you mean? So so again, anger many times, as you just said, is is tied to competition and winning. Got it. And by the way, I, I know we, we this is about boys and, and men. Um, you're seeing it more and more in girls now. Sure. 
as as we as 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 the environment in school um, are becoming more more high stakes, you know, when I'm when I'm working with 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 girls and women um, that are in that late high school, um, early early college, where they're focused on, I need to get the scholarships. I need to, you know, you're seeing it more and more. Um, this need to win and this reversion back to anger. And again, anger is one of the easiest ones to tap into, and it ties into the concept of winning and competition. You use it. It's a, it, it creates an adrenaline rush that you can use in a moment. Um, but the big thing about anger is when you lead by anger or when you act by anger, it's not sustainable. So again, it has its place. It has its purpose, but it's not sustainable. And when I work with folks, um, what we do is learn how to tap into the emotions that are above anger. Um, because that's where people really want to try to be. And when you start talking about being able to go out into the outside world, um, with you're talking about going into, a, you know, into business, right. um, you know, the corporate world, you move from winning at an individual level, which is at the schools. Most, most schools are you're graded on your own. Um, you're taking your test on your own. You got to push yourself through this. You've got to, you've got to get those grades. Um, you immediately are put into a, an environment of cooperation. And making that transition is almost impossible if you don't know that cooper that what what are the emotions that are tied to cooperation and how to get there. So that's that's why you go to it. It's rewarded. Um, competition winning is rewarded. Specifically, you know, boys forever. That was how they were judged. Um, and and because of that, you you dive into that 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 uh, that emotion that's going to bring about that energy burst, going to bring about that competitive spirit. And you're going to win. Have you noticed in working with people with emotional intelligence that women are easier to teach, train, coach, or men are just really hungry for this, so they're in for it? I guess I'm asking is as as men, as boys, do we have a road, any roadblocks to emotional intelligence? Um, so what I would say is there's nothing inherent in boys um, that isn't that that is that is specific. What what it is, it's individual based. Um, every single individual is bringing with them their history and their own personal limiting beliefs that are preventing it. I will tell you that I've worked with, um, you know, a, a lot of uh, you know people of color in this space. Um, there's a very consistent theme that comes um, specifically with with um, with African American women around things that that. You know, it was common around the household to be to be talked about and for them to be told that they've held on to. Um, boys, again, it are there are there things inherently in them that prevent it? No, there actually was a in 2017 there was a study to find out if boys or girls were were more emotionally intelligent, um, and they found that they were equally emotionally intelligent. Wow, there was no difference, um, and it was it was a small study, but but it was something that used the bar on. Um, assessment, which, uh, which which came out, and people were surprised. What they found, though, was that girls were much more willing to be open and talk about it. Um, they it wasn't that they were more receptive. It seems that receptiveness has to do with age. Are we? Is is there any of this age thing, or the receptiveness, or the openness? Uh, is it being informed? Is it showing up? 
Because even to this day, if you, if you complain about something on social media, or if you say, you know, Hey, uh, I'm, that's not okay for you to say that, uh, the term snowflake suddenly starts yeah. to emerge and who's a snowflake and who's being sensitive and who needs to suck it up buttercup and move on and not take everything so personally. And it was just a joke. Um, is it, are we reinforce? I'm assuming that we're reinforcing the stigma, but is that, is that the last cry of the scoundrel or is that going to keep us locked in place? Well, that keeps you locked in place, right? So, um, you know, when you call someone a snowflake, you're usually not doing it because you're trying to be cooperative, <laughs> right? You're, you're usually not trying to find the best outcome for the, for the situation. You've, you've dropped straight down into, I'm mad. Right. And so I'm going to call you a name. I'm going to call right? you a name. No different than when we were on, no different than when you were on the playground and, you know, somebody called you something and all you had was, I'm rubber, you're glue. That's, I mean, it's just, it's just a, <laughs> I forgot just, about that. You know, and the internet is the adult playground. We can't go do jungle gyms anymore because we're old and our stuff doesn't work. But we sure can, we can get on the keyboard and, 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 and lay into people, right? So much so that Yahoo had to get rid of their comment section. We were so uncivil to each other. They said, you're not even allowed to talk to each other anymore on this place. Armchair um, samurais are its own existence. None of you are actual samurais. Like, no. So, but, but the reality is, is again, um, it, when when people are doing that, and, and I can't stress this enough for, for 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 folks who are listening, when someone calls you a snowflake and they're doing it out of anger, it's not that they see themselves as a snowflake, but there's something right now about them as they're responding to you that they're not happy with about themselves. They're breaking they're breaking some core value by calling you a snowflake, by listening to you and not giving you that respect. So. I inherent. I believe that inherently. So you got back. You, your, you know, question ago is: Are there obstacles to boys? No. Inherently, boys want to be the same thing. When you talk with them about their core values and you make them circle on a list, I can't tell you whether it's a boy circling that or a girl circling that uh, on the list. Interesting. Um, what I do find is that boys have more difficulty expressing those values and living to those values and finding ways to do it that still um, is, is socially acceptable. And what I will say is that, you know, as we've moved forward, what I've noticed is there's a lot more social acceptability now of, of um, you know, boys and men um, being able to express themselves. And sometimes it's expressing with anger. Sometimes it's expressing in different ways. Um, but there's there's more acceptance um, in that space. So that means that that means the gates have opened for for boys to become to to, to kind of unleash their hidden potential that they've been suppressing for a while. Whether we're talking about emotional intelligence, suicidality, addiction, uh, mental health issues, self-harm, any of these things that we talk about on, beyond risk and back what i want you to know is that the purpose of this podcast is to support families any family any family who's like what the heck do i do about my teenager who is struggling i have spent now three years over 250 episodes interviewing the experts in every aspect mental health dependency development 
well-being, recovery for adolescents and families. And every single one of these episodes is available, obviously, for free. In addition, I've taken every single show and uh, uh, every single uh, video, and I've got over a hundred videos, uh, uh, parenting videos, on how to how to deal with teenagers who are really struggling. And I've taken all this stuff and I've put it over on Parenting Teens That Struggle. Parenting Teens That Struggle is a free private Facebook group moderated by me that is filled with now 1,200 parents who are going through what you're going through. If you're listening to this podcast, most likely you are a parent, a teacher, or a clinician who is working with, dealing with, and loving a teenager that is struggling. So I want to invite you over to Parenting Teens That Struggle. Also, I have taken everything I have ever taught a parent and put it in 56 lessons. And if you go to Brab App, B-R-A-B-A-P-P dot com, you can purchase those lessons for $37. 56 episodes, 56 courses, 56 trainings. I have put on film and I put it out there that you can download onto your phone, your iPad, your smart tablet, your computer. I want every parent to have support. I want every parent to have access to everything we know about adolescent development and parenting a teen that struggles. So here's what you got. The Beyond Risk and Back podcast, Parenting Teens That Struggle free Facebook group, and brabapp.com. Those are three things that are either three or extremely affordable for you to get all the support, training, and loving up that you need as a parent of a teenager who's struggling. As always, thanks for being a listener on the show. And I want to get back to my guest, Brian Clay. We're talking about emotional intelligence, boys and men. Brian, how do we even begin? Does this begin with the parents? Does this begin with the teachers? Do the school districts have to agree and develop a curriculum or what? How do, how do we start this? So it starts with the family. It always, it always starts with the family. And um, there's becoming more and more of a push for this um, to become, become services that are available to, to parents. Um, because when you're talking about kids and you're talking about families, right, the kids go through different ages. And, 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 and working with them through those different ages, you have to make sure you're with someone who understands how to interact with those kids and how to work with the parents so that the parents can go home with something and actually work with the kids, right? If, if we rely on the teachers, if we rely on the clinicians, if we rely on, 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 on the therapists and the social workers, we're going, we're, we're going to fail. Um, you know, it, it, starts with, it starts with the family. And, and so does there need to be a curriculum? I do know that there's a number of universities now, they're called leadership programs. They, they make it available to their, to their students to, uh, to attend. I've been trying to work with uh, the next level down, which is which is the the high schools. Yeah. Um, right now, that there's there's less of an interest in mental health and emotional intelligence than there are in some other items. Um, so it's 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 more difficult to get to to, to put together a program for that. Um, but but in general, what I personally have found um, is that every adult that I work with, right? So right now, I typically don't work with people until they become you know, leaders in organizations. Right. And it's corporations that hire me to come in and, 
and work with their with their leaders and their teams. What I'm finding is that, and this is why I have an interest and why I volunteer with organizations that are at the high school level, is that the things that that the that the adults are struggling with, they've been struggling with since they were the ages of 10, 12, and 15. Yeah. And so I like to go down to that age and and I volunteer my time and and work with work with folks in that space. Uh, work with kids in that space, work with parents in that space, because that's where it starts. Brian, what is it? Why, why do we have to have subterfuge and call it leadership training when, when they, and then pepper it with emotional intelligence? Why are we still shying away from the concept of emotional intelligence? Why is it not currency? Why? I honestly believe if we started teaching children emotional intelligence in kindergarten, preschool, first, second, third grade, all the way through to high school, that as a residential facility owner, I would be out of business. Why are we avoiding emotions? Um, so I would say that that a lot of it has to do with, again, I'm, I'm giving you my opinion. Sure, of course. Opinion, what he's saying. But I got you it's, as an expert on the show, so I need your opinion. Yep. Um, but you you can go out and read a book and find something different. But my what I'm finding, um, number one, is that when you start talking about emotional intelligence and you start getting into some of the some of the stuff that that we go into emotional intelligence, um, there needs to be a, a cognitive ability. And so if you think about back to kindergarten, they do do emotional intelligence somewhat in kindergarten. We're around. They teach the the basics of be kind to others. Um, you know, we don't fight, we don't kick, we don't like they, 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 what they do is they focus on the behaviors and not the understanding of the emotions. And what I have personally found, because I used to coach, um, fourth grade basketball boys sure, and I coached them from fourth grade all the way up through high school at the lower ages, at the real lower ages, they can't comprehend it. Um, you know, you can ask them, why'd you, you know, why'd you throw that ball at, 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 at Joey? Um, and they would just say, well, I was mad. Do you know why you were mad? Well, what does mad mean? Like you, you tried, you, if you tried to coach them the same way you would a 16, 17 and 18 year old, yeah. it wouldn't work. Um, and what I found in the, in the younger kids is the younger, ki- the real younger kids, we're talking K through K through six, they, their own sense of self is developing. And if you actually go in there and do this emotional intelligence work, which does start, it does make you try to understand yourself better. They're just not there. They're just they're just not mentally there. That's different than um, helping kids deal with emotional outbursts, helping kids better understand ways to express themselves. Because you're teaching you're teaching a behavior, and that that is something that can be brought to brought to those younger groups. Um, but the true the true self evaluation, you you need to have a level of cognitive ability to take that step and do that self-awareness to step back and truly look at yourself and say, why did I just do it? And I have found that it's around ages 15, 16, 17, when it starts to kick in where they're able, where they're able to actually have that, that very important self-conversation and then be able to express it effectively. Cause you have to remember if you and I stand in front of a third grader, we're an authority figure, no matter how kind we are. And, and we're going to have that impact. So they're looking for things to model and they're going to be looking for us to give them guidance and advice um, as opposed to 
ways to question themselves. So that would be my my response to it. Okay, so then let's let's start there. What are the most important things for a parent who wants to start the emotionally intelligent family at home? What are the three top things that that parent needs to model? So so the first thing that the parents have to model is listening. Um, you'll you'll hear it be termed as active listening. Um, what it means is is and. And I just had this conversation with someone today. Is you actually sit back and you don't think about your answer while someone's talking to you. You ask a question and you listen to the question, you listen to the answer in its entirety. And then you observe what it was that happened. What was going on with, with your child's face? What was going on inside yourself as you were hearing the answer? Um, the more serious a question you ask, expect the more serious emotions you're going to have well up with inside of yourself. But if you're so, so the first thing is listen, actively listen and observe while you're listening. So that's, I know I put two fingers up, but that's one. <laughs> Number two is you have to regulate your own internal emotion. The behavior, so, so this is not shutting emotion down. Right. That's not what this is. Um, and this is not saying you, you, you don't at some point yell at your child, right? If your child's about to put their hand in a saw, you yell, you stop, right? You have to do this. But you have to model the, the behavior of, of self-regulation, right? And a lot of it comes out in your speech. And it comes out in your facial recognition. There's enough studies out there that will tell you that kids pick up more on what you're expressing in your face and what you're expressing in your body than the words that come out of your mouth. Um, and that's important. And if you, and if you do those, those two things, what that then leaves you with is the third thing, which is actually have a, an action that comes from the conversation. In the business world, we would call it, make sure you're setting a goal. When you're having a conversation with your kid, make sure you understand kind of the goal of, of the conversation and make sure it's agreed. Now, it's hard when you're talking with little kids. Um, when, when I've done it, it's really more around what is it that, why is it that we want to have this conversation? And what is it that, that you as a child hope for? And a lot of times you're like, I want the new toy. Um, and you as an adult will have a different purpose in mind. But it's really about making sure that the child is learning a skill to help them move forward. So on everyday conversations, what you'll find is the more you practice this, the more natural it becomes. Um, so if I was to say, you know, the three steps is number one, actively listen. Number two, as a parent, model the emotional intelligence, which means be aware within yourself of why it is you're about to react the way you're about to react. Remember, your expressions say more than, um, than your words right. and then your actions that follow afterwards. Make sure that, that your actions are lining up with not just the conversation, but what you hoped for within the interaction. Brian, as, as parents and, and, and teachers and clinicians are listening to this show and they want to learn more from you, where do they find you? So the, the easiest way um, to, to get a hold of me is through, through email or phone. So the email address is brian, with an I, dot clate, C-L-A-T-E, at awakenedexplorations.com. And that's a mouthful, um, but it's A-W-A-K-E-N-E-D-E-X-P-L-O-R-A-T-I-O-N-S.com. 
Um, my my five year old daughter had a big hand in that name. Um, the, if you, if you're if you don't want emails, if it's easier to phone or text, um, the easiest phone number is eight six zero three four one one one. I believe it's nine eight or eight six zero four nine eight one one five two. Either one of those um, easiest ways to get a hold of me. What is your your final bit of advice in in for parents, teachers, clinicians, just around emotional intelligence? My final bit of advice is to is to not ignore this. Um, this is not a fad. It's 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 growing as opposed to shrinking. Um, emotional intelligence is becoming just as important, not just in the home but in in, in the outside world. For, for people to be successful in life, not just in, in business, but in life. Um, and, and I think the, 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 the way that I put it is, you know, advances in AI, advances in robotics, robots are gonna be thinking for us, doing all the thinking, doing all the questions, that answering all the questions that we're trying to answer, which leaves us with what? It's our emotional intelligence. That's the differentiation. That's, our, that's, that's gonna be our greatest currency and it's where we're gonna bring the most value to the future as opposed to dealing with the past. My guest today has been Brian Clayt. What a great show just about how do we begin the concept and the conversation around emotional intelligence? What even is it? Is it harder for boys? And I love the fact that the, the evidence just shows if you do the blind study test on values and emotional intelligence, you're not going to be able to tell whether it's a boy or a girl answering those questions. That says a lot about us as a society. So big thanks to Brian Clayt. Make sure, parents, if you want to follow up with him, get in touch with him. I want to thank Deepin Productions for producing this podcast and also for creating this incredible music that I love so much. I want to thank Your Cause Consulting for helping me make sure that this podcast gets in front of all the right parents, teachers, and clinicians. Parents, remember to head over to Parenting Teens That Struggle, a free group on Facebook. Please listen, like, subscribe, and share this podcast and leave me a review on iTunes. That would be massively helpful. More help than you know. Uh, that always just helps me keep to boost up the ranks, to get the guests, to find these experts to help you out with the struggle you got going on in your families. Parents, remember you take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, because that's how we do our best work with our children. Big thanks again to Brian Clayt, our guests. Go check him out. And I will see you on the next episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Back.